Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. When you were in school, if you're my age, you were always taught to become an employee, right? We did, they didn't talk to you about how to become a business owner or how to become an investor. It was always to serve big business. How, what job am I going to get at the end of my four years or if you got a specialized degree? Well, I'm bringing on a guest today who is teaching young people how to invest in real estate. And some of them are doing deals in school. Her name's Mallory Meehan, and she is a professor at Penn State University. She's a lawyer. She's got a real estate license. She's just simply awesome. And that's what she wrote in her bio, by the way. She said, I'm awesome. You're awesome. So that's the introduction. We're going to learn today really about one thing, and that is how you can achieve financial literacy through owning real property. Mallory's going to teach us that today and a bunch of other stuff. Let's get right to the episode. Hey, Mallory, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, Brian. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And we're going to talk about some really important topics. There's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. We're going to talk a little bit about interest rates. We're going to talk a little bit about tax liability and some of the really cool stuff that, that you're an expert on. But I want to talk a little bit about you first. Because you've got some really cool stuff happening at, well, tell us, tell us, you're, you're a professor at Penn State. And, yep. you know, tell us a little bit about like how you got to that point. And you teach something that I didn't even know was an option in school. So talk, give the listeners some context there. Yeah, absolutely. So I went to school at Penn State. I graduated during the last Great Recession. And I was faced with a choice of, do I go out and get a job or do I stay in school? And so I opted to stay in school and I got my law degree. And then I also coupled that with my MBA. Hmm. And so when I left, I joined the workforce and initially took a job working for Aldi as a district manager out of Baltimore, but realized that my comfort level in larger cities like Baltimore was not probably adapt to that type of area. And so... I came back to State College where my boyfriend at the time, now husband, was still located. And so I ended up getting a job with a real estate commercial brokerage firm. And I worked in commercial brokerage for two years. Uh, so that led me to get my real estate license so that I could speak about pricing and other things like that. And at that point, Penn State was going through a retirement incentive and they were getting some older faculty out. And so they had a lot of positions open and a professor reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in potentially teaching. And that was seven years ago. And so I have been teaching at Penn State. In that seven years, I have taught over probably 3,000 students. Mm -hmm. And I teach primarily undergraduates, but we did recently create a new graduate program. So we have a one-year master's program along with a online graduate certificate. And so I, I teach a little bit of everything, um, real estate, market analysis, valuation, um, understanding legal implications, how to create pro formulas and understand financial implications when dealing with real estate, mortgages, debt, all of those kind of things, um, along with a software that is used by commercial brokerage firms called Argus, um, licensed and certified to teach that as well. So what would the students that take your classes, because it sounds like you teach a bunch of different classes, what are they typically aspiring to 
become? Are they are they looking to become brokers? Are they looking to become investors? I mean, what is their end game? Yeah, no, I think most of them ultimately want to be investors. Uh, some of them want to go out and, you know, open up their own kind of investment like shop, but others are interested in getting into the financial aspect. So they work for banks, mortgage brokerage firms, um, or traditional brokers, your CBREs, JLLs, those types of companies. But I think ultimately this generation is really seeing that they don't want the traditional nine to five and that that's just not something that appeals to them, especially because these are the kids who had COVID kind of impact their lives pretty significantly while they were in school. And they see how you can do things online and you can do things remote. And so that's really kind of a change in the workforce right now that we're seeing. Well, I love to see that shift because, I mean, for as as far as I've, as long as I've lived, we've always, we've never taught we've in school how to become business owners or investors. So that's great. That's a great, yeah. that's a great, that's a great pivot. We've finally gotten there. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because that's a common theme that a lot of people ask. They ask, am I teaching people how to be realtors? And at the end of the day, I'm teaching people how to understand financial literacy through owning real property. And it is something that's not taught in most schools. And, you know, it's something that I'm now working on creating an opportunity for anybody, regardless of if they're in college, they're in high school, they're retired. I urge anybody who wants to have an opportunity to learn about real estate and be educated about it. I'm wanting to try to create that as a platform. Okay. So let, this is a, a good topic to stick with for a little bit, Mallory, which is you said financial literacy through owning real property. Can you, I, I have a ton of questions on that, but can, can you expand on that a little bit? Like, what does that mean to you and how do you go about like, you know, first steps, educating someone? on how to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So I everybody is going to be consuming real estate in some way, shape, or form at you know any point of their lives. And what's not taught to them is how they build wealth and being able to pass that wealth on to the next generation. And so while they, they have a primary residence, you know, they could be utilizing that primary residence and maybe borrowing against the equity. And then with that equity, they're then purchasing another property that they use as an investment opportunity. And so there are whole different parts and avenues of ways people can actually be educated on how they can spring forward their own personal wealth. And my students specifically, I encourage them to go out and get an FHA loan um, for their first properties so that they can then have roommates that then basically cover the entire mortgage payment and they are living their rent free. Yeah. Okay. This is good. So house hack is what you just discussed, but I want to go back to the line of credit or the HELOC or whatever we want to call it. There's a lot of people out there that would, I think it's a good idea, but there's a lot of people out there that would disagree with you. Like don't touch your home equity. That's risky. And don't the interest rates too high. Are there any, any other myths that we need to debunk there? And why do you think it's a good idea? I think it's a great way to get started, but I, I mean, you're the expert. Yeah. So, I mean, I think right now rates are high. And as long as you're not locking in a fixed rate on a HELOC um, and you're getting an adjustable rate, you're going to be able to ride that back down because the Fed is pretty much indicated that they're done raising rates. And so beginning next year, I can imagine that they may start even lowering them um, by 25 to 50 basis points within their first couple of sessions. And so by not logging it in, you are getting that adjustable rate. And so your payments are actually coming back down. And the whole idea is that when you're putting that money into another vehicle, 
the vehicle is making you more of a return than the interest you're being charged on the HELOC. And then you're also getting all of those tax benefits along with owning real property. Which we're going to, which we're going to cover and talk about. Now, would you, if you were to buy, you know, a, a, let's say we're just for this example purposes, you're buying a single family home with said HELOC. Are you combining, are you using the HELOC to pay all cash? Are you using it as a down payment and combining it with the FHA loan? I mean, what are some of the strategies that, that you teach and that you, that you love? Yeah, so I think it's a case-by-case basis. It really kind of depends on the financial, both financial literacy of the individual as well as their financial situation. So for my students, a lot of them have money saved up because they had been living at home and didn't have rent for the first couple of years of college. So they have actually a couple tens of thousands of dollars, which is shocking to me to hear, wow. to hear that. So for those kind of individuals, they don't have a property right now to borrow against. So just using that as their down payment and their um, FHA is the way to go. For others who you know are maybe approaching their midpoint of their lives or even towards the end, that sounds morbid, but those that are more mature and have more financial literacy or at least more experience, I think that if you're able to utilize your HELOC as strictly the down payment portion and then be able to finance it through other means, whether that be, you know, a traditional mortgage or even a DSCR loan, something along those lines, that's going to be a really good opportunity for those individuals. Can you talk about what you just said, DSC? I mean, we take this stuff for granted because we're in the business, but can you talk about, first of all, I'm just amazed that these kids have ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. I mean, I'd have two nickels. Me too. I'd have two nickels to rub together when I was in college. So I mean, it was right. like, oh, <laughs> Dad, I need more money. But um, DSCR loan. Can you, yes. can you describe what that is and 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 how that's advantageous for an investor? Yeah, for sure. So debt service coverage ratio is what DSCR stands for. And what a bank is going to do is they're actually not going to look at your particular income and your debt level when they're assessing whether or not you have the borrowing power. So especially individuals who maybe have other mortgages or other lines of credit out currently, they can utilize this type of a loan when it is going to be an income producing property. And so that income from the property is actually what the banks are going to use versus your own individual income. And typically, loan-to-value ratio for debt service coverage is usually about 75% or 70%. So you'll still need to come up with that 25 to 30% down payment for those types of investments. Okay. So do they look at your personal credit at all, or is it just strictly based on the performance of the property? They will look at your credit. So they will run a credit check and you'll have a hard inquiry, but it won't go against your own personal debt. It's going to be tied to the property itself. Okay. Good to know that. And this um, is what I recommend a lot of people when they're doing that is they should own it as a business entity. And so when you're doing the DSCR loan, it's now tied to your business and not tied to you as an individual. Excellent. Even though they will run your personal credit, the deal or the the loan is through your entity and Correct. the same one that would own the property, I would assume you would recommend exactly. as well. Yes. Okay, cool. All right. So I'm curious to know if any of you, I'm just fascinated by your students, these you know, 19, 20 something year old kids. Have any of them bought any properties while they're they in school? Have. 
Okay. Yeah. So this is awesome. This is going to give the younger uh, viewership some hope here. Uh, can you maybe run through an example of what somebody's done? Because you did mention the house hack thing we're buying and then renting the rooms out. So I've had um, a couple of students who have bought duplexes. And so what they have done is they have lived in one side and even had a roommate or two with them. And then they've rented out the other side. And when a town like where I am in a college town, it is pretty easy to find people who are willing to pay rent. And, you know, they are able, I found that there was a student who did this their sophomore year without even having my class and probably had help from their parents to kind of point them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But still, like this, the fact that they were able to do this and they were basically living rent free and creating equity all through their time in college. And then once they leave, they plan on selling that and then reinvesting in wherever they end up moving to for their full-time job. Amazing. Amazing. So I can't stress that enough. I mean, that's such a early, you get in the game that early, right? I mean, let's say, let's say they decided to keep those properties 30 years from now. I mean, they got something fully paid off and rents are through the roof and you know the end of that story. Yeah. Awesome. So give me a example of how you would do it now in today's market with interest rates where they are. Because it's something we talked about. Interest rates are super high, right? A lot of people are panicking. They're kind of freaking out, waiting on the sidelines. It's kind of a, the market's a little wonky here now. Give us your thoughts on how you should approach buying now. Should you buy now? And then what would be your approach? Yeah, no, I think actually now is a great time to buy because this is the time that everybody is afraid. And when people are afraid, that's when you should be making moves. And so I think it really ultimately depends on what the situation is. If they have money saved up, that they're ready to go. If they don't have as much saved up, you know, obviously utilizing creative financing and creative tools is definitely something that I teach my students and, you know, encourage them to ask. And these people that are selling, they've been selling on the market for six plus months, haven't had any movement. Well, let's figure that out. Why haven't they had any movement? Do they have any debt tied to it? And we're seeing a lot of people who refinance during 2020, 21, when rates were ridiculously low. And now they have these low mortgage rates that people can actually take advantage of and they're not being educated or they're being told by other entities that that's not something that's legal or not something that they can actually go forward with doing. Okay. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Creative financing is a great way to get involved in real estate, especially now when you're not wanting to pay 8%, whatever it is. I've done a bunch of deals that way. I bought a lot of properties creatively. You have as well. So talk about what the opportunity is. And then you mentioned the whole, you know, not legal thing. Other entities telling you can't do that, which we both know is nonsense, but we need to educate the audience today. Yeah, for sure. So a couple of different options that I've been teaching my students on how they can buy property creatively, essentially with no money out of their pocket. One of them is by buying the property subject to an existing loan debt. And a lot of times this is when we see buyers or sellers that are kind of under distress and they have a true need to sell and maybe don't have too much equity in the hold. And so with this, essentially you're telling them, look, I'll take over your payments. I'll take over everything associated with the property. And you're not going to have that stress or you're not going to have that burden of needing to come up with that monthly payment every single month 
especially if they've already moved, especially if this is something that they need to have done before they can go on to their next property. So that's one way that we're seeing um, happen. The other way is when we see a lot of times maybe older sellers who basically own their homes free and clear. They have no debt. And maybe they're looking to downsize. And so they don't necessarily need all of the cash for that property right now, but they're having trouble actually selling the property. It's been on the market. It's been sitting there. And so having them actually turn into the bank and creating a seller finance opportunity has been a really good avenue um, to take with those types of properties. Yeah, good share there, Mallory. And then again, with it being the end of the year here or approaching winter, I mean, a lot of people just say they just go to sleep, but you know, mm-hmm. they think that, oh, I got to wait till the spring, which is complete. I just get so irritated every time I hear that because people are always, always need to move for whatever reason. Job, I mean, the job relocations happen at the end of the year, right? So yes. if you need to sell your house, make sure it's on the market, please. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I also think with the whole springtime, you know, I think that's very much associated with people who have children. And there are plenty of people who don't have children or don't have school age children. So it really is irrelevant for a lot of people. Completely irrelevant. Right. And I get we're trying to protect our children. Don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but, you know, sometimes you got to switch schools. Right. Job, whatever the situation is for your life. Sometimes you just need to move, right? And you, and you can't wait until the spring or the summer. Okay, so that's a good that's a good tip is that you don't always have to use traditional financing. What are so the first thing you talked about was we talked about tax li- tax liability or tax advantages. So let's talk about what are the tax advantages of owning real property that maybe somebody like the layman doesn't know. Like you're, you teach your students and teach other people how to do this. Like, what, what do we need to know? So what a lot of people don't realize is that some of the taxes that you pay associated with your property, like property taxes, are actually a tax deduction. And so if you own the home as your primary residence, you are eligible if you are a married couple to receive up to $10,000 of tax reduction from the amount of taxes that you pay in property taxes. Now, if you own the property as a entity or a legal entity, anything that you pay associated with that property becomes a business expense. So it technically becomes an operating expense that you get to reduce any of that income that you received by that amount of tax that you previously paid. So that's a huge tax advantage. Other things that you're doing to the property, any sort of improvements, any sort of you know, if you're paying for utilities and you're paying for maintenance, if you're paying for any of those things, they all offset the income. And so you're able to really reduce the amount of tax that you have to show when you're owning real property. And if you do have a traditional mortgage and you are paying interest, that interest that you're paying is also a tax deduction as well. Got it. So the so the key takeaway there is when you're owning these investment properties, make sure it's uh, set up as a business not in your personal name and you're getting way more expenses because of, you know, you're paying a mortgage and you're, you know, you're paying the light bill, whatever, making improvements. That's all tax advantage. Anything else exactly. that I'm missing? So when investors are purchasing property, I recommend that they purchase it in an LLC simply because they're able to use it on the pass-through entity and they're not getting taxed twice at the business level as well as their personal level. Okay. Can you explain that again, the tax or, or just expand on the taxed twice thing? Because I, I think a lot of people might have lost you there, but that's okay. Yes. 
No, it's good. So with an LLC, a limited liability corporation, or an S-Corp, um, they're pretty much the same thing. And it just really depends on whether or not you have employees as to which one you're going to choose for tax purposes. Or we have the higher level, which is a C-Corp or corporation. So these are really large companies and large entities that get different benefits by being as large as they are. So if you own property as a C-Corp, you're going to get taxed by the company, and then you're also going to get taxed at you, the individual level. And so you're seeing what's called double taxation versus what the IRS does for a limited liability company, because it's a smaller entity, you're not getting taxed at the entity level. It's basically passing through directly to you, the individual, and whatever your personal tax rate would be. Now, I have a serious question for you. When you're teaching this tax thing to your students, do you have to like throw water on them to wake them up? Or, I mean, do they, are, they, are they into it? They love it. They love talking about taxes. They love talking about like what kind of business entities they should have when they're looking to, you know, create businesses, buy property, all of it. And I think it's, you know, I'm definitely in a world of business students. And so that's kind of like, I know that that's what they're interested in. If I talk to my parents or other people like that, you know, glazed over eyes. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, that's great. I mean, I love that. I love to hear that the young people that you're teaching are into this. Because again, most people are like, you start talking about insurance and taxes. It's like, you know, let's, you got to hit the snooze button. So. Well, I, I tell people all the time, I love talking about taxes and it's not because I love paying them. It's because like, I love educating people on how not to pay them. Right. Which is. I mean, I have not read the IRS code, but the majority of it is telling you how to not pay taxes, right? Like we got to pay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's people like you can really help articulate that so that you don't have to read through how many ever pages it is to not pay taxes, right? The government yep. is incentivizing you in a in certain ways. So learn it versus like, oh, I got to pay taxes, the damn government. Yeah. Right. Well, it, and this is probably an, a side topic, but I think it makes a lot of people, especially in the middle class, angry that they pay so much in taxes and they see people in this hunt one percent not paying anything in taxes. And purely because they are utilizing the tax code in what it says and doing the things that the government essentially can't do well and they're leaving it to the private sector to do. And so those are the benefits that people get that they're not seeing or utilizing when they have a traditional W-2. Okay. Such as what? I mean, these big, the big businesses, like, I mean, we know what they're doing, but what what are they doing to where they're not paying any tax? And again, if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at the government, not the big businesses. Yeah, so these people are creating jobs. And so when you create jobs, obviously that there's a huge incentive for that. Um, they're getting a lot of business credits or other tax credits when they're owning property. Property itself depreciates. So the useful life of it, we're able to actually reduce versus if you had an asset like 401k, you're not able to reduce what you lost in your 401k, like you are able to reduce the losses that you obtained for real estate. And so that's a big difference between the vehicles in which people put their money and how they can utilize it for their advantage over just thinking that my money is always going to get a guaranteed 8 to 12% return. And then that's going to be enough for them to retire on. 
But again, any sort of losses that they have in a 401k aren't able to be realized like they are if you own real property. And the beautiful thing is that real property, they're not making any more of it. And so it's always going to be an asset that hopefully is always going to be something that can be utilized. 100%. We're not making any more land. And I think that a lot of people who are fearful right now of you know, recession and interest rates and, you know, it's an election year, what's going to happen? I think you just got to tune that stuff out and focus on, hey, what's some of these strategies that you're talking about right now? I mean, there's never, I don't think there's ever a bad time to get involved in, in real estate. People are waiting for stuff to happen, like trying to time the market, which I don't think you can ever do. You can get lucky, but you can't time it. But even for the long haul, you're going to win, right? Yeah, I don't think there's a way to actually time the market. It's just got to be, you know, if a rate opportunity presents itself, you just have to feel confident and ready to take it. And I don't think there's really any bad time to be buying real estate as long as you're doing it in the right way. 100%. Exactly. The right way. And there's a lot of that that has been uncovered in this episode. Now, you teach this stuff to your students, to the, to the young folks, and you know some maybe some they're getting MBAs, but you also got some cool stuff coming up uh, regarding yeah. re regarding everything we're talking about. That's not just going to be for people that go to your school. So tell us about that. Yeah. So essentially, one of the things that I've heard time and time again is that they don't teach this in schools. They don't teach real estate ownership. They don't teach financial literacy. They don't teach the things that most people should know about. And so nice. it's been my mission to create almost a Rosetta Stone for real estate knowledge and real estate investing. And so I will be launching my online courses. They're going to be all asynchronous. You can work your way through that. And then every week you'll have the opportunity to actually sit down and ask me questions where I'll host office hours and answer any hot topics or actually deliver another lecture. So this is all through my Inspire Wealth Education learning platform. And if people are interested, I will give you the promo code for a discount for anybody who joins with your your viewership. Wait, do you want, so is it inspirewealtheducation.com? Is that the website? Inspirewealtheducation.com, yes. Okay, so we go there and then you mentioned a promo code. Do you want to give that to us now? Sure, and I'll just be Brian. <laughs> That's a great promo. Yeah, great I've promo. Brian is the promo code. And is it for anyone? I mean, this is for anyone, anyone who wants to learn, right? So anyone who wants to learn, especially people who maybe have seen some of these other types of educational platforms out there, just knowing that I am legitimate. I have been teaching this now, living it. I have read a number of books. I've actually written my own textbook. So I come with a lot of credentials so that people will hopefully know that they're getting a solid education and at a fraction of the cost for what they would pay to get me actually in the university. That's a good point because college ain't cheap the last time I checked. It is not. It well, is not. it's super cool that you're teaching young people how to, we're breaking the mold here, right? Because, you know, you and I grew up in a different a, a, a different mentality, which was, hey, go to school and let's become employees, right? So we can pay taxes and, and help the government out, right? Awesome. All that stuff's going to be in the show notes, guys. Make sure that you check out her classes, Inspire Wealth Education. 
Com, where you can learn about everything we've talked about and so much more because we're just there's not enough time to, to to discuss all of this financial literacy through owning real property mallory thanks for being on everyone make it a great day all right everyone hope that episode served you definitely go and check out inspirewealtheducation.com and look at those online classes and make sure that you use the promo code brian with an i b-r-i-a-n there's a lot of good nuggets in this one. I'm really, really big on financial literacy and owning real estate is a great way to reduce your tax liability, create financial freedom, and then create a legacy for your family. And I'm so glad that we're starting to teach this stuff in schools because I never had that when I was in school. So awesome, awesome stuff. As always, I really do appreciate you tuning in to the show and listening if you haven't done so already, if you're a listener of the show, this is not your first episode and you really do like the show and you're getting value out of it, I would love it if you would take the time. It only takes you 10 seconds to just leave a rating and a review that really helps me, that helps get this show out to more and more people who want to quit their W-2 jobs. They just don't know how. They want to start businesses. They want to get out of their current situation and live better lives. And if more people can hear the show, then I can accomplish my mission of inspiring and educating those people to start the business of their dreams. So if you could do that for me, I would super, super appreciate it. And I'll see you next time.